You know, life is not a dress rehearsal. And what can happen to all of us in our life is that when we prepare for stuff and we can be in this space here and we, and we think we're preparing for one thing, like the, the girl in the, in the, in the sketch, the, a singing competition, and then when kind of we, we realise that we're actually living life, it can be a completely different thing. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And actually, uh, many of you in this room, you know the truth of what I'm talking about because you know that life for you is not what you expected it to be. That actually, you thought, actually, I thought it would look like this and it looks completely different. That could be in marriage, that could be in your family situation, it could be in a health situation, it could be financially, it could be with work, it could be spiritually, it could be with whatever. And you think, well, actually, what I had planned here... This is what I thought life would look like. And then when all of a sudden I realised life isn't a dress rehearsal and we only get one crack at it, life looks very different than what I imagined it to be like. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at a character from the Bible. And uh, his, he could, his life is exactly like what I'm talking to you about. He had a really clear image about what his life was going to look like. In fact, God showed him what his life was going to look like. But it takes years before what God showed him his life was going to look like actually comes to pass. Lots of times he would have looked around and thought, I want to just get off this stage and run out of the door, just like you saw in the sketch. The character we're looking at is a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, there are two Josephs in the Bible, for those of you that are not aware of this. One is the one we think about at Christmas time, married to Mary, mother of Jesus, sing carols about it. But that's not the Joseph we're looking at. Right back, hundreds and hundreds of years before, right at the start uh, of the first book of the Bible called Genesis, is this character called Joseph. He's so famous, they wrote a musical about him. And not only that, but Jason Donovan played him many years ago. And he was famous because he had an amazing Technicolor dream coat. And I love the creativity in this church. I just so love it. Not only the sketch you saw and all of this set thing, but then when we said uh, we were talking about it in our creative team, we'd really like to have a coat. And Can we adapt one out of an old parachute? Can we do this? Can we do that? And a, and a woman in the church just said, no, I'll make it. So she went to the rag market and she made that, as you do, and just knocked that together. And then not only that, but our kids are doing this as well. So she made a smaller one for the kids. And I thought, I don't know whether I ought to wear that as part of this series, but... No, 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 steady, 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 steady. But then I thought, nah, nah. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. But anyway, he, he was so famous, this guy. He had this amazing Technicolor dream coat. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the start of his life. And we're going to look at this whole subject of dreams because this characterises the beginning of his life. And as we look at Joseph, we're going to look at three questions. We're going to look at who is Joseph? What's the kind of thing with the coat? What's that all about? And then thirdly, what's all this fuss about dreams? So who is Joseph? What's the thing with the coat? And what's all this fuss about dreams? So if you've got a Bible, we're going to read from that. If you haven't got one, then don't worry, I'll read it out to you. This is the story of Joseph. It's from Genesis 37, and we're starting at verse 2. It says this, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So who is Joseph? It's interesting that in the Bible's version here, um, he's mentioned first after Jacob. So it says this is the account of Jacob's family tree and then Joseph gets mentioned. But Joseph wasn't the firstborn, Reuben was the firstborn. In fact, Joseph's way down the list in terms of, of, of when they were born. 
And so why is this mentioned? Well, this is interesting. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay, so just hold that thought for a moment. But So here's Jacob, here's Joseph. He's a son of Jacob. And the Bible says he's a young man of 17. Now, I know from that that what that really means is that he's immature. Because there's no reason for the writer to say young man of 17. Because actually, 17 wasn't considered all that young in this day. In fact, you could get married at 13 or 14, so he's a man at 17. But the writer says a young man of 17, because actually, as we're going to see, he's quite immature for a 17-year-old. So he's young and he's immature, and he's the son of Jacob. And, and then as, you read, as we read it through, but the, but the father Jacob loves him more than any of his other kids. Why does he do that? Well, the Bible says because he had him in his old age, true. But there's another backstory to this, which makes it really important. See, if we, if we rewind the clock a little bit, before Jacob has any sons, Jacob is, is a, one of the early characters in the story of God, in the story of the Bible. And you've got Abraham, and uh, God took Abraham and called him out of where he was and sent him to the promised land. And uh, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then Abraham had a son called Isaac. Then Isaac had a son called Jacob. And Jacob was a bit of a deceiver, a bit of a schemer, a bit of a manipulator. He, he tricks his father, Isaac, and then he runs away. And while he's running away, he ends up at his uncle Laban's. And when he walks into his uncle Laban for kind of shelter and to kind of live there a little bit, he notices that his uncle has two, really, has two daughters, one called Rachel and one called Leah. Leah was the older one. Rachel was the younger one. The Bible describes it like this, that Rachel was beautiful in form and Leah had weak eyes. In other words, that's kind of a, a nice way of saying, <laughs> Rachel was a hottie and Leah was not a looker. Okay, that's basically what it's saying. Now, because he was such a deep man... So she was a deep man and always looked for the character. He went for the good-looking girl. And he said to Laban, I want to marry your daughter. And Laban said, you can do that on, on one condition, that you work for me for seven years. Wow. So he says, I'll do it. I love her. I'm going to do it. Works for her for seven years. Comes wedding night, wedding night. Spend the night together. Wakes up in the morning to, to his wife. Realises this wife is not the wife that he thought he was marrying. It's his sister. Their father had tricked them. That's, that's a little bit of a shock on your first day as a married man, isn't it? To realize, oh, that's not the woman. Where do we, what do we do now? This is interesting. And, but then he loved her so much, he said, well, what am I going to do? And so the, the Laban said, well, work for another seven years and you can get the one that you love. So for 14 years, he works for this man who tricked him and deceived him in order to get the woman that he loved. Then that woman is barren, which is a sign of disgrace in this part of the world, in this era. And then God opens her womb and she has a son and the son she has is called Joseph. So actually, I think it's significant that the that, that first son that's mentioned after Jacob is Joseph, because in Jacob's mind, I wonder whether actually Joseph is almost like the firstborn anyway, because he's the firstborn son of the woman that he really loved. And then she has another son called Benjamin, and she dies in childbirth. So it's all very tragic. But here is this man, Jacob, who loves Joseph more than any of his other brothers. Now, I think it's fair to say Jacob's family had issues. Okay, they had a few issues, as we would describe it in our modern world. What were they? Well, Jacob was a passive father. If you look in the, in the back story of this, he, he often didn't put boundaries in place. When his older son Reuben really went off the rails, he didn't step in. He was very passive. And when you're passive as a parent, you allow things to happen and develop and grow. And before you know where you are, you've got a mess. And that's what Jacob had he was obviously, Joseph was obviously the favoured one, but he told tales on his brothers to his father. That didn't go down well with the brothers. And then we come to this coat issue. The second thing, what's with the coat? Now, the, the reason that the coat's important is that all we really know from the Bible is that it, it was ornate and it would have had long sleeves. 
And because they had long sleeves, that shows us something. That actually the father is saying, Jacob, Joseph, you're going to wear this coat with long sleeves. You don't have to do any work. Because coats with short sleeves were coats that you worked in. Coats with long sleeves were coats that the bosses and the rulers worked in. And they watched everybody else work. But there's also something else happening here, and this may be a word some of you are not familiar with, but this is, almost, this is also a prophetic picture of the future that Joseph is going to step into. Because this is a, ro- a robe that talks about ruling and governorship and influence and leadership. And actually God had purpose that Joseph one day would be a ruler. And he doesn't know it at this stage, but the coat is a prophetic external picture of what God's going to do in the life of this man. Now, let me just make a point before we move on. How many of you know families are messy? I know not your family, but everybody else's family, we're messy. How many of you also know families are not perfect? And if you show me a family that doesn't have issues, and I'll show you a family that's from the Waltons or Little House on the Prairie or something like that, because they're not real. All of us in this room know families have issues. How many of you know parenting is not easy? And when you're a kid and you become a teenager and you, you, know, you get to that age where you're perhaps 16, 17, 18, 19 or something and you look at your mum and dad and you think, do you know what, when I get to the, oh, I'll do it better than you guys. You know that feeling, you know, because you, know, you, you missed it here a bit, you missed it there a bit. I think I'll be a little tougher here, a little laxer here, all that kind of thing. And then you have children. You don't know what I'm talking about. And all of that feeling about your parents when you were that age, then all of a sudden, and especially when you're taking your kids to the teenage years, you realise how hard parenting really is. I don't want to be insensitive to any of you today. I realise that sometimes people come from very difficult situations, whether perhaps there's been abusive or controlling parenting at work or all kinds of other issues. But I also want to say this. Whatever family you've come from, let's be gracious to our families. Families are messy. Families are not perfect. Parenting is difficult. Parents are not perfect. And one of the things, if you're a Christ follower today, you have grace. You have grace given in your life. Let's take that grace and let's give it to those people that need it the most, which are often the people that we think, oh, you ought to have done better. But actually, they probably did as best as they were able. And so let's be gracious. One of the writers that I've been uh, reading around this, a guy called R.T. Kendall, when he was a pastor of a church in London, he spoke on the story of Joseph for a whole year. And then he wrote a book coming out the back of it. And he says in the book this, nothing is more ridiculous than being bitter against your parents your whole life. If any of you here this morning and you're bitter against your parents, I want to say to you, you have grace. You have the ability through God to be able to forgive and to release and to, to bring some measure of healing into your life. But let's go back to Joseph. You know, he was arrogant. He was immature. He was unwise. He abused the gift that God had given him. And if that wasn't bad enough, listen to this in verse 5. Joseph had a dream. So bear in mind, he's a telltale on his brothers, okay? His father, who loves him more than anybody else, has given him a coat, which signifies that he's going to rule and lead, not do any work. They're out in the field working, and this is what happens. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. That's great news, isn't it? Huh. His brother said to him, so do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now you think at that point, something would happen in the mind of Joseph to say, I need to do a different strategy here. I need to play this differently. If I want to influence my brothers and and get on, I need to play this differently. But he doesn't. This is what he does. 
Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. (laughs) Wow. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, in other words, the sun and the moon and your brothers, the 11 stars, actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, let me just make a point about this. When I look at Joseph, God has given him a gift. He has kind of abused that. He's been immature, unwise and arrogant, but God's going to use him anyway. And I look at that and I think, aren't you glad that you don't have to be perfect to be used by God? Aren't you? I know I am. And I look back at my life and leadership and I look back at times when I, and I think, oh, how could Joseph do that? And I thought, oh, I've done some ridiculous stuff as well out of being unwise and immature and arrogant and all of that. And I still do some stuff. But I'm so glad and grateful to God that he doesn't throw me out the window. That he says, I'm still going to use you even though you're not perfect, aren't you? What an amazing thing. And so we come to the third question. Why the fuss over the dreams? As we said right at the beginning of the service, there are kind of two types of dreams. The ones while you're asleep. And that's all a little bit weird and interesting and what's all that about. Then there are those ones while you're awake. That sense in which, and you might not be a Christ follower today, but you know that you've got something inside of you that you really want to do with your life. Something that ignites passion. And you might say, oh, I've got a dream. Wouldn't it be great to do this? And for us, those of us that are Christians, we have that as well. And then sometimes we also sense that God gives us something. That God gives us a dream in our heart, not while we're asleep, but while we're awake. Something that he wants us to do with our one and only life. And it may be like Lisa and what you heard this morning, that it's to go down by the sea and, you know, and, and, and do a Christian guest house. And what happens is that, we, that we, we take something that we believe God has given us and that becomes a dream that, that kind of drives and shapes our life. But how many of you know with that comes a whole load of tension? Isn't that right? There's a whole load of questions that come with that. Number one, how do I know this is from God? Number two, what do I actually do with it? And number three, why... Why and what does it mean when my life doesn't look like the dream that I thought I had? So I thought God gave me this dream and yet it doesn't look to be anything like what I thought it was. A little bit like in the sketch, you know, I thought God gave me the the, the dream to sing, but then actually it's a dance competition. So what happens when what actually happens in life doesn't seem to match up to the dream that we have? Well, in Joseph's case, this is what happens and we'll read on. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns, which is like a well, like a pit. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognised it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So so, so let me get this right. So Joseph gets a dream by God 
that's demonstrated on the outside with the coat. This is what you're going to look like. You're going to be a ruler and a governor. And what actually happens is that that coat is ripped off his back. He is then sold into slavery. He is trafficked, using a modern word, he is trafficked into slavery. That's right. So you've got to think that he must be asking, hang on a minute, God, what's all this about? You know, this is what you told me life would look like. It's looking completely different right now. So what is all this with his dreams? Before we say that, can I just say another little point? Envy and jealousy are killers. We don't talk about envy much in church, but we should, because it's one of the most powerful emotions. And because envy is, if you like, subwater line, it's like really deep underneath, it never seems to rise in a way that we could name it. What actually happens is that we get envious of one another, and envy is a killer of an emotion. You see, the step between envy and hate isn't very great. And what actually happens is that when we allow envy towards something, for something that they've got, when, if we don't deal with that, what actually can happen is that's passive. It then can become active in the case of the brothers and it ended up with hate and it ended up with violence, exactly what you saw here. And, and that can happen in church as well. And we can be envious of others and we can look at them and we can say, oh, look, you know, look at what you've got and look at the, the house you've got and the job you've got and the kids that you've got and the wife that you've got and the husband that you've got and the ministry that you've got. And you've got leadership, you've got influence, you've got power. I haven't got that. And we can allow ourselves to become envious. And when we allow that to be unchecked, If we're not careful, it turns to hate, and that's a killer. It's a killer. And Joseph's on the receiving end of all of this envy. And here he is in the pit, and then sold into slavery. And he ends up at Potiphar's house as a slave. And then because Potiphar's wife um, tries to rape him, and he he says, I'm not going to do that, and he runs out of the house, uh, and, and, and she accuses him falsely, and he ends up in prison for a couple of years. So he goes from a pit into the palace, he's he's falsely accused, he ends up in prison. I mean, how how is that? I mean, come on God, you gave me a dream, you gave me a dream, how is that? How is this, what I'm seeing here, anywhere near reflected to the dream that you gave me? I want to speak to you this morning, for the last five minutes that I've got or so, about dreams. And I want to speak to the older people, and then the younger people. And if you're not sure which one you are, you're old, all right? (laughs) You just are, okay, sorry. But if you're asking the question, am I old or young, you're old, trust me. Now, to the older people, let me say this this morning. Do not, do not become a dream killer. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) You're not sure, I'm not sure what you mean. Do not become a dream killer. This is what these guys were. When they they actually said, they said, look, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. See, see, then if we kill the dream, we'll kill him. We're killing him, we're killing the dream. And what often happens, and in a church environment, this is really important, when, and it's not necessarily an age thing, but when someone comes into faith, and they're newer in faith, they can come with all kinds of dreams and, and exciting things, and they want to do this and do that, and we as older people can become dream killers if we're not careful. And the best way to do it, older folks, those of you that have been Christians longer, is not just to say, oh yeah, yeah, we've heard all this before. We know what's going to happen. Don't do that. Get involved with younger people in the faith. Get involved with them and say, yeah, that's great that you've got that. Let me help you put a little bit of feet on that. Let me help you. You know, there are a couple of things that might happen which could be challenges and disappointments. Let me help you when you do hit a disappointment. And I'm not just going to say, oh, I told you so. Because that's such a dream killer thing. But let me actually help you and help you to pick yourself back up again and go for it again and believe that God can do something with your one and only life. Wouldn't that be great? So if you're older in the faith this morning, don't be a dream killer. Secondly, if you're older in the faith, do not give up on having dreams for yourself. 
Do not give up that God still wants to give you a dream for your one and only life as well. You might think, oh yeah, but that's all in the past, is it? It's funny how Moses gets given a fresh dream by God again at the burning bush when he's 80. That's what we talked about at the start of this year. We felt God saying we're calling us to be bigger, braver, bolder people. Nothing more bold than Joseph and his coat. But you may be an older person this morning and you think, oh yeah, my day of dreaming uh, from God, that's all gone. Why has it? Abraham was old when God gave him that fresh dream for his life through, through, through Isaac. You know, Caleb, great character, who's 85 for goodness sake. And God says, I've got a fresh dream for you. There's another mountain. And then you look at people like Lincoln and Churchill and other people who came into the dream for their life later on in their life. I want to say, if you're an older person in the faith this morning, do not give up on having dreams for your own life. But then I want to speak to the younger people. And some of this stuff applies both across that divide. I want to speak to some of you younger folks. Just because you have a dream, it does not mean it will come easy. See, I think what younger people do, and I know that I was definitely like this, we think that if God gives us a dream, it will come really easy. And we just wait and just hang around and just chill out and get on our screens and it'll just appear and it doesn't. And what happens often is this. Young people tend to overestimate what God can do in the short term and underestimate what God will do in the long term. Does that make sense? When you're younger in the faith, but this is not just true, some of us older ones haven't learned this lesson neither, you will overestimate what God will do in the short term and you will underestimate what God will do in the long term. That's why I'm so thrilled to to know Tim and Lisa and to be a part of this journey with them because actually what you're seeing now and them taking this big step of faith is not in a vacuum. This is on the back of decades of faithful service, of sowing and of digging in and of believing God. And what they're doing now is not just something they've just woken up, we want, oh, let's do this. This comes on, not in a vacuum, but in the basis of, of a plan of putting one foot in front of the next and serving God right where they are. And then God leads them into something new and something fresh. So if you're younger this morning and you've got a dream and you've got a sense that you want your life to count, please don't overestimate the short term and don't underestimate the long term. It will not come easily. And if you are right now in the pit or in a prison and you're saying, but what about the dream? You know, what what is it I'm seeing? Do not let the chapter spoil the story. You see, what happens to Joseph is that this is a chapter of his life. It's not the whole story. But when we're in it, all we can see is like that. And God's way of seeing is not like that. It's like that. And saying, listen, this is a chapter that you're in. This is a chapter. This is not the whole story. The second thing I want to say to you younger people is this. Preparation is where the real treasure lies. Preparation is where the real... Yeah, life isn't a dress rehearsal. It's the real thing. But still within life, there is preparation. God is preparing us for something. Let me explain this to you. You see, at 17, Joseph is not ready to wear that. Like on the outside, it looks great. But his inside doesn't match his outside. And actually what God takes him on in the next 13 years is a journey, an interior journey through external circumstances to get his inside to match his outside. And we don't get that, that preparation is really what it's all about. So in Genesis 37, as we've read, the coat is ripped off his back and he's put in a pit. Then he ends up at Potiphar's and and he, he thinks, oh, hang on a minute, personal gain, sleep with the wife, why not? They throw me into slavery, what's the big deal? Why don't I do this? God, you've let me down anyway and doesn't do that. He says, I'm not going to do that and he runs off. And again, the coat he's wearing then, the cloak is ripped off his back again. He's growing, but he's still not quite ready. He ends up in prison. Eventually, he ends up in the court of Pharaoh and he ends up wearing royal robes. 
Because his inside now matches his outside and that has only come through 13 years of preparation. And if you want to become the person that God wants you to become, I've got great news for you today. It will come through pain, suffering and disappointment. Aren't you excited about that? And ultimately it comes through death. Ultimately it comes through death when we die to ourselves and to our dream and to what we want and we say, God, I want to live like you want me to live. And that's what happened in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph moved from self-focus to God-focus. Because when you're younger and God gives you a dream for your life, actually, it really is mostly about you. But what often God wants to strip back is he wants to strip away some of those things. So it doesn't become about you, it becomes about God and becomes about other people. And for Joseph at 17, he was like, you're all bowing down and worshipping me. But when he was in second to Pharaoh, he was, I've been given a position of responsibility and I need to feed all you people or you're all going to die. See how different that is. He moved from self-focus to others focused and ultimately to be God-focused. And he finds real integrity, which is where the inside matches the outside. Spurgeon, who was a famous British preacher many years ago, some of you have never heard of him, that's fine. He said this, if I only had 25 years left, I would spend 20 in preparation. That's a concept that our culture doesn't know anything about. Because we want it all now. Because it's instant. Because crikey, is this 3G ever going to give me this? And I'm realising it. And we were talking in the week. I was realising it. I'm watching videos now. I said, oh, it's way too long, that is. And someone said to me, it's a minute. And we all get absorbed by this instant culture, don't we? And yet Spurgeon says, if you give me 25 years of my life, 20 I'll do in preparation. Wow. And I wonder whether you may be going through a period of preparation in your life. And what's God saying? Are we... Began with the question, who is Joseph? But we're ending up with a better question, who is God? Because the question isn't really, who is Joseph? The question is, who, who is God? See, the question at the heart of the human condition is, who am I? All right, that, that's all the question that we're trying to ask in our life. Who am I? Where do I come from? What am I doing? Why am I on this planet? Who am I? And as we grow through our life, we try and answer that question. And when we get to our 40s, many of us, especially men, we do all kind of crazy things like, in trying to answer the question, we buy a motorbike. Or we go and live by the sea, Tim. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we just go and surf forever. And surf forever. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But we're trying to answer that question, who am I? But the better question is not who am I. The better question is who is God? And Joseph, who was a young man at 70, said, who am I? I'm going to be this famous person. Everyone's going to bow down to me. You'll see through his life over the next few weeks. He comes to a point where he says, it doesn't really matter who I am. It really matters who God is. And he moves from who am I to who is God? And it's interesting that in the New Testament, when one of the early church leaders called Stephen was describing Joseph, he said this, they were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. God was with him. And over the next few weeks, as different ones of us teach on on this story, you'll hear that phrase come time and time again through the story. When he's in the pit, God is with him. When he's in the palace being falsely accused, God was with him. When he was in the prison, God was with him. And then ultimately when he was in the palace as a king wearing the robe, as as a ruler rather, God was with him. God was, it's not about who am I, it's about who is God. And I want to finish with this. This is why this is so important. So when you're in a pit or you're in a prison, God is with you. So your question, who am I, is answered by this, I'm not alone. Because of who God is, I'm not alone when I'm in a pit and a prison. In Genesis 45, when he faces his brothers, he says, God sent me ahead of you. So the answer to the question, who am I, is this, I'm sent by God. 
You see, you guys, you thought you'd send me here as a slave, which you did do, but actually that's this story at this level. But at this level, there's another story being played out, and that's God's story. So who am I? I'm sent by God. And then right at the end of the story, and I'm going to look at this in the last week, when he, when he finally brings his brothers around him, and he reveals who he is to and he forgives them, and it's one of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible. And he says this to him, he says, you intended it for harm, but God meant it for good. So when you have a focus like this, when you look at life, you think, well, who am I? Well, I'm not alone. Who am I? I'm sent by God. Who am I? You meant it for harm. God meant it to be good. I'll tell you who I am. I'm part of God's redemptive plan and purpose. Wow. That's who I am. You meant it for harm at that level. True. But God at a different level had a different story going on. Wow. So actually, if we can answer the who is, not the who am I, but the who is God question, we can answer almost any question, can't we? Because when we know who God is, we can see ourselves in connection to that. Do you know what? Our God is so great that he can work out his purposes even when people are doing their worst. And ultimately, this is the only dream worth living for. This is the main event. This is center stage when we live for God's purposes and for God's glory. And so actually what that means is this, that we need to be ready and prepared to actually some, to lay down our dreams and even to lay down the things that we feel God has given us to say, actually God, I'm not going to hold on to the dream, I'm going to hold on to you. And if I hold on to you, the dream that you give me will be the dream that you want for my life. And if it's not looking that way now, then it's just a chapter and I've got to learn something through it and you're doing something on the interior, not the exterior, because that's where the real treasure is. And eventually this story will change because it will become the story that you want it to become. But that comes through surrender and it comes through us answering the not the who am I question, but the who is God question. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you're such an amazing God. God, these stories that are so ancient are so rich and so relevant. God, it was never meant just to be a musical that would entertain people in Broadway in the West End, but a story of a young man who lived a bigger, braver, bolder life, but who did it through unbelievable circumstances. And God, I want to pray this morning that as we enter into this next few weeks into this man's story. God, I pray that we'll see ourselves in that story. And we won't talk about Joseph a lot, but we'll end up talking a lot about Joseph's God. And Lord, I pray this morning that you'd meet many of us here. Some of us are stuck in a pit. We're stuck in a prison. We've, the dream seems to have died and we don't know where you are. But God, I pray this morning that we will know that you're with us. You are with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And if we could focus on you, You'll lead us on that interior journey. And eventually we will become the people that you want us to be and the inside will match the outside and we'll be in that place you want us to be. And so Father, I pray that you'll help us and meet with us today in Jesus' name.